0: end of the perimeter church podcast loneliness can be bad for your health some studies show that it can be worse than smoking or obesity it can damage our immune system and decrease the quality of our sleep your doctor might ask if you smoke or try to get you to exercise or watch your weight but has your doctor ever asked about whether you have any meaningful social interactions Teaching team member David McNeely starts a new series entitled I Life with this message entitled Isolation, which covers Psalm 25. Thank you for joining us today. We're starting off a three
1: week series this very week, and it's my privilege to be able to do it and to be uh, with you the whole time. Someone cleverly came up with the title I Life. Now, I am horrific with titles. I rarely title the sermon until the day that the sermon title is due to communications and worship and arts. So what are you going to say? If I don't know. And I think, what's the one thing, one concept that's going to be about? And I just go with that one word. It's, it's typically not that clever on my end. It's just, i uh, got to have a title. So here it is. So when somebody else came up with a title, I went, yes, called I Life. And we're looking at three eyes in our lives that we are going to deal with on a regular and consistent basis. Now, this very week here, this morning, we're gonna deal with isolation. Next week, we're gonna talk about insecurity. And the week after that, we're gonna talk about being irate or angry. Now, today, if you can say, you know what, this is a great time for me to check out. This is a series, don't need any information on this, then. Praise God, you're moments away from going on to glory and being with Jesus because there's no difference between heaven and heaven right now. You just go, okay? But for the rest of us, we don't need to hear more awareness about this. What you don't want to do is to get a preacher up front and say, and by the way, some of you are isolated. Let's go home. Okay, you don't need that. The answer is, what do we do with it? What do we do when we become isolated? What do we do when we are battling this deep-seated insecurity? What do we do with our irateness, if that's a word, our anger? How do we handle it? That's what we want to know. And while this will not at all be a self-help series, because the answer is going to be the same in every single week. It won't be the same sermon, but the answer will be the same. Our, Our only solution to it all is by stepping into
2: the presence of God and coming before him and saying, here's where I am, help. God will do it. The question is, when you leave this three-week series, is do you believe it?
1: Not do you give intellectual assent to it, do you stake your life on it so that you actually do say, I've got nothing else, I've got no answers or solutions, so God, I'm taking a risk, and here I am. Today is about isolation, and I want to make just a little brief distinction between isolation and its kiss and cousin, which is loneliness. Now, isolation is a reaction, if you will, that we have to loneliness. Loneliness is this sense that there is no one around us that is with us. Isolation is when when we choose to live in seclusion. Now, that choice may be forced upon us, or it may be some direction that we go, but it's, it is unwanted seclusion from anywhere that we would have a place to call home. Loneliness is this emotion that gets inside of us, and we know that there's, there's something deeply stirring that's not right. We're not connecting. There's loneliness in marriage. There's loneliness in parenting. There's loneliness at work there's loneliness at school there's plenty of places in life that we can go to that says I presently right now am lonely and I feel isolated
2: from all people so what do you do I asked a good friend of mine if she would share her story and we
1: put it on film and we'll get some clues as to what we're supposed to do so turn your attention to the screens
3: started following Christ when I was 20 years old, and I saw this great need that I had for Him. I had no idea how much I would need Him day to day throughout the rest of my life. When I got married in 2003, I just remember being so excited to be a wife and uh, to begin building a family. It was probably about a year after we were married. We took a group of about 12 high school kids to Mexico. While we were there, we went to an orphanage, and it was that day that my husband and I shared later that we both felt God placed this desire in our hearts to adopt one day. One day, we said. A year later, we decided that we would start um, trying to have a family, and that we would begin by having biological children because we didn't really have any money saved, and we knew that adoption could be expensive. So we started going down that road and I remember being really excited at first and then the weeks turned into months and then the months turned into years. So in 2007, after being married about four years and trying for a couple of years, we remembered that desire we had to adopt and decided that we should go ahead and start the process. This was a way of having control, that it was sort of a given. I didn't have to rely on God making miracles happen in my body, but this was something that an agency could do for us. We could make this happen. I could be a mom. But honestly, it couldn't have been further from the truth. We were told that because of some background in our home study, that they could not guarantee that we would be approved or that after we knew who our child was and waited for a couple of years, they could still decline us during the court process in Ethiopia. That planted this seed of fear in me that lasted the entire wait. I remember during that time, just feeling really alone. I had people around me, but no one whose story was exactly like mine. I remember so vividly, my husband and I still talk about this. We were in the kitchen, and I remember just sort of melting into this puddle. And he just looked at me, and it was the first time he had seen me that broken and uh, in that much pain. And I remember he just sort of (laughs) put his hands up and took a couple of steps back and surrender and just said, I don't know what to do. He said, I think this is going to work. I really feel like this is going to happen for us, but I'm afraid of what's going to happen to you if it doesn't. After about two years of waiting, our dream finally came true. We flew to Ethiopia, we had our baby boy in our arms, and it was the greatest blessing that God has given to us. He still is. Being a mom has by far exceeded any of my expectations. So of course, naturally, experiencing that, I couldn't wait to do it again. And so probably about a year after being home with our son, we started that process again. And we waited, and we waited, and four years later, the program completely closed down. We lost all of the money that we had saved towards adoption. and. It just kind of felt like four years of our time was just gone. I remember in in some dark moments just kind of feeling like it was my fault, that somehow I had lost God's favor. There were even moments where I felt like God had abandoned me, that He was blessing people around me, and I was seeing their prayers answered and these miracles happen. And then there was me just waiting. We decided in January of this year to start all over again. And he has taught me so much just in those few short months, even more than he taught me through all the other years of waiting. That moment in the kitchen with my husband, when I melted into that puddle and he said, I don't know what to do. I learned that God does know what to do and he has the answers even when I don't and when no one else around me does.
1: You know, what I love about that video, there's many things, but right there at the end, I love the fact that it ends and they don't have
2: another child at home yet. But where was her heart? I don't know what the answer is, but I know he has it. Isolation is... This sense, it's this state where we
1: have no one around us. And again, that may not mean literally no one is around us. It may mean there are plenty of people around us, but we don't sense that they are really with us. It's this place, this state where I'm not connecting with you. You're not connecting with me. And it stings. It goes to a level of our souls um, that is so difficult to deal with. Now, why is that? It's because we are human and God made us, all of us, regardless of race, religion, color, regardless of what era you lived in. I don't care if you're post-modern, pre-modern. Modern, it doesn't matter to me. All, whatever time frame you came from, as if you're still here, I it's weird. We all long for it. We long to connect because there's Father, Son, and there's Holy Spirit. And then God said, "I'm going to make them in our image," and they are connected and we crave it, and when we don't have it, we don't quite know what to do. Isolation. Loneliness. Les Carter wrote a great book called Mind Over Emotions. He said this. Loneliness is a feeling of separation, isolation, or distance in human relations. Loneliness implies emotional pain, an empty feeling, and a yearning to feel understood and accepted by someone. Now, if we were to choose to live the life of a monk and we were to go up on some mountain and we were to be in total seclusion, isolation by choice, yes, there would be absolutely a certain level of angst that would be in there. But I would contend this morning that what I think actually makes the problem worse, what exacerbates the problem is when we are in the presence of people and yet we feel like we're unnoticed to have lots of folks surrounding us and not to connect with any of them is actually, in my opinion, more painful than not having anyone around. You ever been the middle school kid who showed up first day with not a friend?
2: You hit the lunch table, and others seem to have some friends, but you're there isolated and alone with no one to talk to.
1: My son just told me recently about his experience at school the transition from perimeter school into North Gwinnett Middle. North Gwinnett's been great. We love them, all for them. It's been a wonderful environment for us, Um, but there was that moment where he was totally isolated. Some particular folks uh, in the school had uh, pointed out features um, on his body, the way God had made him, and uh, having all of the security that all middle schoolers have. I'm at that age. He heard it. It stung. He said, Dad, I just wanted to crawl under the
2: table. Everyone else seemed to get a good laugh. Son was isolated. You're in a marriage, and that person is right beside you, but you feel alone. You haven't connected in
1: years, and you are doing the best you can to hang on for the kids' sake. Your soul is dying. You have children? They come and they go, but there's never a moment where you really are connecting with them and them with you. There's never that time in which you feel like you know them and they know you.
2: You feel alone. You go to work, and at your workplace, they've got workstations. There's even groups that
1: you will work within, and there's certainly people that are around you, but every single day, you're longing for someone to
2: ask you something deeply personal so you can share. When people are around us,
1: and yet we are not known and we don't know them, that only exacerbates the problem and magnifies
2: the pain it pours fuel on the fire. Tim Hansel, in a
1: great book, Through the Wilderness of Loneliness, a hero from mine at a distance said this, loneliness is not the same as being alone. Loneliness is feeling alone. No matter how many people are around you, it it is a feeling of being disconnected, unplugged, left out, and isolated. The first thing that I want you to hear this morning, the first truth, there's only two of them we'll have this morning that I want you to wrap your mind around is this. When it comes to loneliness, at various times in our lives, we all are going to be forced to swallow the bitter pill of loneliness. And it is a bitter pill indeed. There's no way we can sugarcoat it. There's no illustration I can give that'll make you laugh. And we'll kind of walk away going, ah, great, lonely, it's okay, it's not a big deal. It's a bitter, bitter pill for us to swallow. And at various times in our lives, every single one of us are going to have it shoved down our throats. Very few of us will choose it, but it will come nonetheless. Now, how is it that we typically get to this place where we are isolated? How is it that we typically get there um, in life? I think there are plenty of ways we get there. There's just three that I wrote down. This is certainly not intended to be an exhaustive list, um, but there are three ways. Number one, we get there, uh, loneliness, through circumstances. There are circumstances that are beyond our control that we have nothing to do with. It could be things like we're the new guy at work or at school. We could be the new family at church in a large church. There could be the death of a spouse or a child. There could be chemical issues that are going on inside of our bodies that actually cause us to get into greater levels of depression, things that we don't have control over just as a result of of life. There are plenty of things out there that could cause us this. And my family, when we brought Davis into our home, he was the only person that had that particular pigment on one particular occasion out here with Camp All-American, the staff does a great job, wonderful job. The kids do a great job. On one particular day, just for some reason, he felt it. I am the only kid here that looks different. Not his fault, nothing wrong. There are sometimes circumstances in life that can cause us to get this great feeling of loneliness and isolation. Secondly... There is loneliness that we experience in isolation from choices that we or others will make in the process. There could be choices such as a divorce, the ending of a marriage. It could be just simply a hardened heart that I get hardened inside towards it. We could be engaged in destructive behavior where I'm just a jerk to everyone around me and folks leave and abandon because of the way that I have been treating them. It could be substance abuse. It could be anger. It could be several other things like that. One other one, and I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this, but I think one that is um, increasing our tendency towards being isolated and feeling alone is technology itself. Again, please don't. Technology is good. I like it. I am so thankful that Christy, who now schedules my life, has the capacity to make a meeting for me. And so she sends a little uh, alarm on, a little reminder. That meeting pops up, and I say, oh, it's supposed to be somewhere right now. And I begin walking, and, and I open up the appointment, and she says, and here's what the meeting is about. And here's what you're supposed to think and feel and say, et cetera. <laughs> I love it. It's great, right? Technology serves many, many great purposes, but it becomes a problem sometimes when you watch a husband and a wife on a walk together, and they both got earplugs in It becomes a problem when everybody in the room is not talking with one another, but they're actually looking and staring at their phone. Please, I'm not trying to demonize it. I'm just saying that at times, technology can get us looking here rather than looking here and here.
2: There's one other kind of loneliness, though, that it's just, just, just difficult. It's a loneliness that comes
1: from Jesus meaning that he intentionally and willfully puts us in a place where we are going to experience isolation and loneliness there a part of that occurs because paul clear i'm sorry when paul clears it up for us that we, when we are comforted by the Holy Spirit, he wants us to pass on that same comfort to others. And so there are times in which God says, I want my people to then go and to help others who are in need. And so I want you to taste what it tastes like to be isolated and alone so that you can help someone else who is in that same position. But there's also this loneliness that occurs that is the beautiful, gracious, merciful reminder of God that this is not really what we're deepest longing for, or our deepest longings are for. In other words, if there's nothing bad going on in my marriage, if Judith and I are always connecting, if my kids are always connecting with me and we're just pursuing the heart and we're living as Paul Tripp would tell us that we should live nonstop, if we are in this place where everybody at work is engaging and pursuing all that, if there's no need, what need do I have of God? I think loneliness sometimes comes from Jesus so that we might have a greater hunger and thirst for the Lord himself. When we don't miss his presence, not sure how much we want to go into his presence, but when we miss him, Lord, alarm, a reminder, I need to step in. Now the question is, do I step in? That's what loneliness is or what isolation is. That's a little bit about why we have it. let say this, the irony to me, of loneliness and isolation is this. We all feel as though we, say it this way, we feel as though I am the only one who is lonely. And yet if I were to ask a show of hands, I won't do it, but my guess would be if
2: I were to say a show of hands, how many of you today feel lonely?
1: I'll bet you three-quarters of us would raise our hands. We are anything but alone in our loneliness. People are also experiencing it, but that is still not enough to really help us. We need something greater to actually help us to deal with it. So now let's transit. What do we actually do with it? I want to give you two ways that I think we typically deal with this. I would not commend that we do these two. I would commend the last one, the third one, but I give you the, the typical ways we do it. Number one, we typically look outward Meaning that when I get this sense of loneliness and isolation, I begin to look out at a world around me and I say, Will you please do something about my loneliness? Will you please do something about this pain, this ache that I have? And so I will look to my spouse to meet that need, the deepest longing of my soul, and my spouse is nowhere nearly equipped nor capable of pulling that off. I will look to my friends. And I will say, will you take away my loneliness? And my friends are not equipped and they are not capable of doing it. I'll look to my children. I'll look to a future spouse if I don't have one now. I'll look to a future job. I'll look to a future close friend. Whatever it may be, if I don't have it, I'll presume that it should be on you. And then when you don't meet that, guess what happens? I get embittered with you. I get angry at you because you
2: have not taken away my pain. Jody P.
1: says this. If you meet a loner, no matter what they tell you, it's not because they enjoy solitude, it's because they have
2: tried to blend into the world before and people continue to disappoint them. Try as hard
1: as you want to get others to take away your loneliness and you will always end up in the same place alone and embittered. The second thing that we do is we try to look inward. We look outward first, but then we look inward to try to take away this pain. And so there's two ways we can do that by going inward. We can go inward in such a manner that we get numb to it. We just say, I'm not going to feel anymore. I'm not going to let you get to me. I'm no longer going to hurt about this. And so I try to just shove it uh, deep down inside. I can do that through some substances. I can do that through a variety of ways. But when I try to just shut it off and to not feel it
2: works for about a day. And what ends up happening in the long run is I go crazy.
1: I can't shut this off because God said, I'm placing it into you to give you a clue about something bigger. So try to shut it off. Good luck with that. The other thing that we do is to go to the other extreme, and that is to embrace every single waking moment of it. And so we always experience this ache and this pain until it overwhelms and consumes us. And many get to a point of utter desperation with no hope whatsoever. Both paths are destructive. I would suggest to you there's a third thing that we could do a third direction that we should turn our eyes and that is that we should actually begin looking upward. We look up to say, God, I know that you have placed this here sovereignly, supernaturally. And so Lord, I'm gonna actually step into your presence and ask that you would do something about it. Now, I know what has happened for many of us right now though. You hear those words, you say, hey, dude, got it? Know that that's what you're supposed to say. We're in church, but I want you to know, I've been trying that for a long time now and it doesn't work either. Because I've been showing up. I've been coming to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've done mission trips. I've tried to serve. I've tried to do
2: all kinds of things. I've tried to say, hey, God, I'm here. And God continues to walk away from me. Now, what I want to try to say to you is, um, this is not a trite answer. I I want to point you to what the scriptures
1: have to say. And then I want to invite us to test God in this. Not in a way that tests him like, but, but testing a way, of, I'm gonna put myself here. I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna be vulnerable. And God, if you don't show up, I'm in a world of hurt. Corey Ten Boom, brilliant, godly woman with great wisdom. Listen to what she has to say. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. I want to read all of Psalm 25 to you, and Psalm 25 is a psalm of David. He's going to talk about um, how it is that we go about doing this. I'm going to point out just a couple of things. We won't go through it verse by verse, but I want to read the whole thing for context because perhaps the most important thing that we do all morning long is to read the scriptures because this is God's voice. It's not mine. It's a Psalm of David. We don't know exactly where he is in life when he's experiencing this, but what we do know is that he is lonely. He is isolated. He's gonna tell us that here. And so what does he do? Psalm 25, verse one, Psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, on you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness
2: preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, oh God, out of all of his troubles.
1: There are three themes that I see in here in this psalm. He goes back and forth, and so he gives them at this section and this section. So rather than trying to give you the specific verses, here are the three themes that I see in that psalm. First is a theme of trust. David is in a place where he is isolated, he is lonely, he is aching. And so what he chooses to do is to walk into the presence of God because he trusts that God is who he says he is. He trusts that God will do what he says he will do. At the end of the day, he chooses to trust the character of God over his own mind and his own emotions. So he plops himself right here. Another theme that I see in here is one of guidance. And so he's saying, instruct me, teach me, you instruct the sinner in the way, etc., God gives guidance and instructions to those who come into his presence. Step one, this is not a self-help thing, but step one, step into his presence. Step two, listen for God. He will instruct you. He will guide you in what to do where you are specifically in your scenario, which is personal and it is unique. I can't tell you exactly what to do right now. What I can tell you to do is get in his presence and listen. Third thing I see in here, the third theme, is he's asking for deliverance from enemies, people who are on the outside that have his harm in mind, but also he's asking for deliverance from his own sin. He acknowledges that he has his own responsibility. There are reasons by which he's lonely. It's not just everyone else. It's also me. It's some of them. It's a whole lot of me. So God, deliver me from that sin. Deliver me
2: from my enemies. Come in, look up, confess, listen. In the Bible, in several places, it gives us this right here and other
1: specific verses I would draw your attention to because they're, they're powerful for us to hear this morning, God's word. Jeremiah 29 gives us a, a great promise. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and will come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Please let that sit. I know the plans that I have for you. It's it's not for harm. It's for great things. Great may not necessarily mean you have an international ministry where you're well known. It may mean just great things for God in A nursery where you're holding the child who desperately needs to be held. Got great things in store for you. And if you come after me with all of your heart, if you seek me, I will be found by you. God is not playing hide and seek with us. He's not toying with us. He's not getting himself sort of in our presence so that we can come, and then he just walks away and giggles and laughs at our pain. God says, if you seek after me, I will be found by you. So come. Come with persistence. You don't felt him, you didn't feel him show up today? I I understand. Plenty of days like that for me too. Show up tomorrow. And show up Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and say, God, I'm coming after you. You told me that I would, you would be found by me. James in the New Testament takes the same theme and he says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you.
2: Listen, act as if you've never heard this verse before. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Step into his presence. I'm here. You've told me you'd be found. You've told me you'd draw near.
1: Only he can take away this deep sense of loneliness and pain. He put it within us so that we would search after him And I can't imagine God being good and right and just that he is, and I know he is. I can't imagine if we're coming here saying, God, you do something
2: about it, he would say anything other than, I will. It may not happen in the timing that you long for, but it will happen. Listen to the way Paul tells us this when
1: when we are in this place where we are in his presence, then listen now as to how it is that we can view others. He says this in 2 Timothy 4. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it may not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Paul was in a place where everyone else around him had deserted him. They left him, they abandoned him. He was alone and isolated. And because he was in the presence of God, because the Lord came and stood by me, he was able to say,
2: it's okay, I won't hold it against them. That only happens when I'm satisfied here first.
1: Now, once this is happening, then I can appropriately move outward to others because God did intend that others would come alongside of us. We were designed to live in community with one another. It starts with God and then it moves out to others though. So just listen to this. Scriptures have this to say also. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John tells us this, that when we are in fellowship with one another, true, biblical, life-giving fellowship with one another, it's a result of us all having fellowship with God. Meaning this, if we try to take away loneliness, isolation, pain, etc., by just getting together, it won't happen. But if each of us, begins making our way towards the Father. If each of us is looking up, what happens to all of us? We end up at the same place. You can't tune a 100 pianos that are out of tune to one another. They'll all be out of tune. But if you take a tuning fork and you tune each of those 100 to that tuning fork, even though they had nothing to do with one another before, now they are all in perfect harmony.
2: It starts with Jesus. Honed in on him. I was... Speaking to a bunch of youth pastors several years ago, there was about, I
1: can't even remember, 30, 40, 50, again, details I'm miserable with, but there were several youth pastors that were gathered. There was one particular guy that had become very dear friends with, and he had asked me to come and to share. I said, I would love to do that. And so I met with a group of eight that were putting this on, and so the time came. We had to go from this building to this, and so as we're leaving, my buddy gets up and he says, come on, white bread, let's go. And for the first time, it dawned on me, I'm the only white guy in the whole building. I was the only person who looked different right then. Now, part of that, again, is my personality. I don't notice details on um, things. that My wife still has to remind me that it's our children's birthday. Things like that, okay? Part of it's personality, but you know what was driving most of it? We weren't there for one another. We enjoyed one another. We were there so that youth pastors can connect with God.
2: And so although I was radically different, I, I, I didn't feel it not saying it's wrong if others feel it I'm saying at that moment tuning fork
1: there are going to be times in which we have a difficult time getting into the presence of God and this is where others can help us and Ecclesiastes the writer with great wisdom says this two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil For if they fall one will lift up his fellow but woe to him who is alone and when he falls and has not another to lift him up Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A 3 cold is quickly, not quickly broken. What he's saying is this. There are times in which it's going to be difficult for me to come back into the presence of God. And when brothers and sisters help me not to take away the pain, but help me to get to where I need to get to first,
2: that's when I get real solutions close our time by reading a passage to you. I'm going to give you the
1: second truth. Read uh, this section to you, and then I'll close up very quickly, but the second truth is this. Jesus experienced the ultimate isolation so that
2: we might experience the ultimate inclusion. What our souls are so desperately longing for is to be connected
1: with the one who created us. And the only way that that is possible is by Jesus first experiencing the ultimate isolation so that we might experience the ultimate inclusion. Matthew
2: chapter 27, I'll begin reading in verse 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting
1: lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there and over his head. They put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then two robbers were crucified with him one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, then let him come down now from the cross and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God, then let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, There was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli,
2: Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah, and one of them
1: at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it up to him to drink. But others said, wait, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit.
2: And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. There was that moment where Jesus, who had been with the Father and the Son,
1: existing in community, in harmony, no pain, no ache, no loneliness, no isolation. He'd experienced that from all of eternity past. And then there was this moment on the cross where all of God's wrath came poured down upon him. And Jesus experienced to the ultimate degree what we experience sometimes. And that is isolation, complete and total abandonment, forsaken by God.
2: God, according to the scriptures, literally did this. Here's Jesus. And he did that so that we would not have to experience it. Friend, today, your loneliness can point you to something greater. And if you will step in first, if
1: you will get into the presence of God, primarily by listening to what he has to say when he speaks to you through his word and through talking to him with your words through prayer. If you will get into his presence and ask him to do something with your
2: loneliness, then you have a solution. Turn to Jesus. He really will help. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done.
1: Thank you that your word is true. Thank you, Jesus, that you experienced something for us so that we would not have to experience it. But God, I pray now that you would give us the strength, the power, the courage to step into your presence and to trust you that you will show up. Or give us strength. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen